0: The privilege of introducing our speaker for tonight is my fellow intern pastor of two and a half years, and so give it up for David. On, all right, intern pastor duo, it's all good. Um, I'm going to preach, I'm going to preach and share a word that uh, God's just been putting on my heart for a while now. Uh, So, actually, can we pray real quick? Can I pray? Is that all right? Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you that, Lord, your word speaks today. It's alive and active. It's piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Holy Spirit, may you just open up every heart right now, Lord. May we receive the word, not just for tonight, but for the rest of our lives, God. Have your way, Lord. We just invite your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, I'm going to preach from the book of Hosea. And Hosea, uh, so you get your Bibles ready. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. Hosea is a minor prophet. And, you know, I, I tend, uh, I've been attending seminary for a little over two years now. And when you're in seminary, man, you just start making corny seminary jokes and, you know, we just kind of talk and, man, well, I'll, I'll laugh too, but, you know, I just feel like inside I'm like, oh my gosh, I would have never done this like five years ago or I can't believe I'm chuckling right now. And, uh, so I was talking to my friend Young, uh, he's an Aussie, Aussie Korean and, uh, yeah, he, he's really witty, dude. And we're just talking real serious about the book of Hosea and all this stuff. And he was just like, hey, what if, like, in heaven, like, they were just discussing, having a discussion. And Hosea's talking to Isaiah. And Isaiah's like, ha you're like a minor prophet. Ha-ha. And then, like, he's like, whatever, dude, you're a major. And <laughs> obviously, it's a seminary joke. And, man, that just shows how. Lame, my god man all right so you know but we're just we're just joking and like imagining uh these major and minor prophets kind of bickering and like whatever man we're cool that's not my point of uh <laughs> i'm preaching but anyways let's go uh let's open up to hosea let's go to chapter one <laughs> help me lord Hosea's not happy right now looking at me from heaven And, you know, Hosea, yeah, he was a minor prophet. God put a message on his heart. And God also told Hosea to marry a whore. I said it. That is not my words. It's from the Bible. So let's look at chapter one. Really awkward. Uh, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, this is verse two, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom. And have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, daughter of Diblime, and she conceived and bore him a son. Okay, so there's very specific instructions to this man named Hosea. He was supposed to marry a prostitute. And it was because it was supposed to symbolize the prostitution that Israel was uh, doing, you know, in their relationship with God, in their covenant relationship with God. They were cheating on God. In that same way, Hosea tells or God tells Hosea to marry a prostitute, a whore. And along with marriage, Hosea was called to deliver a message. And this was his message. It was that the judgment of God was to come and wipe out the northern kingdom because of the fleeting nature of their covenant love for him. I want to say that one more time. Hosea's message was this, that the judgment of God was to come and wipe out the northern kingdom because of the fleeting nature Of their covenant love for him. In chapter 6 verse 4. It says. God is speaking of Israel's love. And he says. Your love is like a morning cloud. Like the dew that goes early away. He's saying. Your love is fleeting. Your love for me Israel. It's so fickle. It's not pure anymore. It's a love that was once pure. But it lost its purity. Their love for God. It was so fickle. It was so uh, wishy-washy. It wasn't. Uh, purely and devoted to him, and just to give some context uh, I mentioned it 's the judgment of God for the northern kingdom right so quick history uh, there 's northern kingdom which is Israel, and southern kingdom kingdom, which is judah right uh, and what happens is they are both not really doing well, both of them where their hearts are going cold, their hearts are very lukewarm, and northern kingdom they they had worship and things going on, but it really it was very syncretistic. It was very mixed. There was a lot of mixture in there. So what was happening was, yeah, they were doing sacrifices and all these things. But at the same time, there was all these golden calves. And you remember what happened in Israel with golden calves before? Yeah, Moses, he came down from his, the mountain, glory, shining upon him, you know, like a shampoo commercial. He's just coming down, looking good, smelling good. And then he's just so mad. He's like, what? what? He just destroys this calf. I don't know how he did it. He must have been a strong dude. He crushes it. He makes the Israelites drink the water mixed with this golden, uh, uh, what is it? Crumbs? Not crumbs. (laughs) Golden dust. Gold dust. (laughs) Right? And he just, it wasn't a good thing. But what happens? The same thing happens a couple hundred years later. There's golden calves in the temple. And not only are the Israelites, they're not only uh, worshiping with this syncretistic style in temples, but they're not even worshiping in Jerusalem. They're worshiping in their other sanctuaries they made. And on top of that, there's like all these idols and, you know, they're worshiping Baal and all these really bad gods. You know, shame on the Israelites, right? And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, even the priests that, uh, you know, God specifically said, only let the Levites, the people from this specific tribe, let them handle it. But, you know, for them, they're just like, whatever, we're worshiping God and we're doing it our way and we're just going to do in a way that's almost convenient for them they're not really taking god's heart and commandments seriously right and it's manifesting through their worship and in the southern kingdom you know judah they had it they they were a little better you know the external worship was really good they had uh you know the priests with the nice clothes and they're from the you know levitical tribe they had their nice little hats and you know nice little dress going on and and the sacrifice was there is very appropriate but their heart wasn't there It was a worship and sacrifice without authenticity. It wasn't genuine, right? So what God does is he says, man, judgment is about to come. But you know what the funny thing is? Let me tell you what the funny thing is. The irony is this. Hosea, he was speaking judgment and wrath of God and blah, 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 all this stuff at a time when Israel was doing really well. Like, besides the golden age of Solomon, this was probably one of the highest times of economic prosperity. They were doing really well. And this crazy little man who married a, a, pro, a minor prophet, a minor guy, you know, he, he married a prostitute. And he's going off barking, judgment of God is coming, judgment of God is coming. But everything around them looks good. It's kind of it's funny, right? You know, the way I heard it was prophets of God, they're like the person in the choir or in the praise team, or in the music band, that are singing an octave higher than everyone else, okay? And man, if they're singing bad, like you notice them that much more, right? Now, I remember uh, last, uh, last semester, I got to lead praise for Emmaus. It was uh, light it up, fuego, hashtag. Where are my Emmaus people at? Why, why y'all so ashamed right now? What's going on? Um, you know, it's, it's light it up, retreat, And, you know, it was fuego, fire, fuego. So we had to do, uh, I think it was the last night, Pastor Aaron, um, you know, preached on, like, I don't know, Jesus. And it was really good. (laughs) And lives lives were changed. Altar call was powerful. Fire of God came. And kids are set free. So I was like, I was looking at John Park. I was like, John Park, yo, we got to do fire never sleeps. You know, fire, fuego, hashtag, fire this, fire that. And then... You know, I, I've been leading praise for a, a little bit now, but musicianship-wise, I'm not the, um, the strongest, right? And pretty much I picked the wrong key. <laughs> and it was like... I'm sorry, Pastor John, <laughs> for <laughs> picking the wrong key. It was like... Uh, I don't even remember what the, what the verse was, but it's like... Burn away the ashes, fire never sleeps. Burn, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my soul... It was the most uncomfortable song I ever led in my life. I never wanted worship to end that quick in my life before. It was... I was just playing and singing and sweating and and wanting and crying inside. It was just... It was not fun. Oh, man. And, and, and prophets, they're kind of like that. They're singing... For me, it was an octave lower, but for prophets, they're singing an octave higher. They're, they're that noticeable. They're that distinguishable. You know? when everything around them says this, they say something else. Because they're speaking from God's heart. They're speaking what God has put on their heart. Their job, their role, is to speak the very unspeakable things of God. Their job is to describe an infinitely layered, indescribable God full of mysteries. That's a difficult job, okay? You can't complain to me that teaching English is hard or this is hard. They got, their job is... To, to describe an indescribable God. Did you, did you just hear what I said? Describe an indescribable. That's their job. And that's why they seem like they're yelling. Like I'm yelling right now. This is their job. This is what they did all the time. 24-7. Okay, that's what they did. And, and at a time, again, when what they were speaking, it was going entirely against, all the circumstances were going entirely against that. Okay, that's what was going on. And I love this book, Hosea, because it's a book that, shows the struggle it shows the tension that god has between his characters okay you see on one side right here you got god's love and compassion and you see that in the way he just speaks of israel and and the the adoration the love he has over them but on this side you see his justice and righteousness because they're not their love is fleeting they're not sticking to the covenant love that god has called them to and and you see this tension and what's really um, sweet about the prophetic books is you see God say something, and then you see the prophet say something. And then you say you see God all uh, lovey-dovey and compassionate here, and then you see him like, the wrath of me is coming, you know, over here. And it's almost like bipolar. It's really weird. But, yeah, let's go to chapter 6 and uh, turn to verse 1. And I, I say that because God and Hosea, they're taking turns speaking. Remember that, okay? Mental note, God and Hosea, they're taking turns speaking. So if you go to chapter 6, verse 1, I'll just read it. This is Hosea's invitation to Israel to repent, okay? This is him declaring on an octave higher than everyone else. This is him saying, Israel, repent. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. That we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as a dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. And this is God's response. God's response to Hosea's invitation is this. It begins with a lament. It begins with disappointment. And I read it before. It said, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Your love is fleeting. The covenant love that I give to you and I expect back, it's fleeting. It's going away. So what does God do? He sends a prophet. He sent Samuel. He sent Elijah. Elisha, Micah, Amos, Isaiah, all these people. He sent them over and over again just to get them to get this message, but they don't understand. Do you understand the frustration that God has on his heart right now? Because he's saying, what are you This is what you have to do, Israel, my beloved, my treasure, the apple of my eye. But why aren't you doing this? And he sends all these prophets to remind them to love God with all their heart. But they don't listen. To Israel, commitment meant nothing. Their consistency never lasted. One day they're positive, they're negative the next. They say they'll seek God and worship him. But soon after, they inquire of the gods of Baal. And they depend on the riches and the military power of neighboring nations. And not on their God, their living God, their Yahweh God. And this is, this is the main thing. It's not that God doesn't know what to do. It's that he doesn't want to do what he knows he has to do. say that one more time. It's not that God doesn't know what to do. It's that he doesn't want to do what he knows he has to do. Again, it's two characteristics of God. And they're clashing. Anyone here ever see Dragon Ball Z? <laughs> I grew up in Dragon Ball Z. It's actually really not that good. Uh, it's kind of depending on some um, some non-Christian things. But anyways, I grew up watching it. And um, yeah, there's like... What, what, what uh, Dragon Ball Z is notorious for is their epic fighting scenes. But it's actually the scene before the fighting scene. It's the charging... It's the waiting. So you have Goku right here. He's the main character. And, uh, you know, he's just saying, Kamehameha, like, he's just charging. And then over here is the bad guy, Frieza. He's charging and, and just jibber-jabber, talking, talking. Three episodes later, then they finally blast it off. And it's like, Kamehameha, wave! And then, wave, or <laughs> And they're just like, you know you see these like energy blasts like coming and it's like and as a kid you're like oh my gosh what's gonna happen you know goku's gonna win he has to win but you don't know what's gonna happen there's this tension and that's kind of what's happening you have on here the commandment wave is god's love and righteous uh, love and compassion and over here is um krillin's destructive disk of of wrath and and righteousness right and they're coming together and there's this clash there's this tension only like a handful of the brothers know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but it's okay. What I'm trying to say is, you see this tension. There's this struggle. And it's like this. It's like, you know, when when uh you're a kid and you come home and you know you did something bad, and you tell your parents, like, Mom, I um I threw I put gum in my sister's hair again <laughs> or something, you know, and she said, Why did you come here? And then and you know, she brings out the little little stick, you know. For me, it was my dad's back scratcher. And that thing was nasty. Man, it was a double, double punishment. It was just like, it hurt and it was nasty, you know. And then, uh, I don't know what, what you guys use. but you know, and, and the punishment, it's about to come. what happens? Uh, what do they say? Honey, it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. I'm like, whatever, man. <laughs> Do you remember what it's like? Do you remember? I'm, I'm not going to believe that until I have kids and then when I finally say that, but I'm pretty sure, I, I don't know, all, all the, uh, Pastor John, you'll find out soon when, when you, uh, whatever you're going to use, back scratch or whatever, but, uh, you know. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, that's the, that's the image of God. He's, he's like, I got to punish my little, um, son for putting gum in his sister's hair again because i got to teach him good values i got to discipline him but man i don't want to because it just even though it's adorable and cute it hurts me to see my precious child you know hurting and and god on a much more serious level on a much more deeper level he's looking at israel and he's like i got to give them what they need i know what i have to do but i don't want to do it and you see this tension and it just keeps going on and on. And what happens is, uh, yeah, again, uh, Israel's love for God went cold. And and what God did in response was he sent this man, Hosea, to deliver his message. And it was a message specifically of judgment and hope. Because later he says, you will be restored. We just read in verse 1 of chapter 6, yeah, you will be um, resurrected you will be revived 2 days later you will be there's this there's this eschatological there's this end days this this hope in the future but it's also judgment that comes before that and in addition to that message he says hosea marry this prostitute going back to what i said first and marry a prostitute that's not 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 uh, one who has everything all together but one who isn't faithful to you, one who cheats on you more than once, God specifically tells Hosea to marry this prostitute. And one reason why he did that was because he wanted Hosea to be an incarnational person. God wanted Hosea to be an incarnational person. Because by telling Hosea to marry an unfaithful woman, God invited Hosea to feel what God was going through in regards to Israel. Does that make sense? Again, he's using this marriage illustration and he's saying, man, my love and my faithfulness, it's, it's in a covenant with Israel. But Hosea, I want you to feel what I feel. So marry this prostitute. So that, Hosea, when you speak to Israel, you'll understand my heart of compassion and righteousness. And I'm not telling you all this so that you go and marry a prostitute or something like that. But now I'm saying this because God's a God who wants all of you. God wants every fiber of your being. He wants every area of your life. Surrender to him. He wants us to feel what he feels. And that's why he lets us go through difficulties. That's why he lets us, you know, go through different hardships and because God wants us to be incarnational. He wants us to feel what's burning on his heart. And how do we do that? And the main text for tonight, oh, and the title of my sermon, it's From Intercession to Intimacy. And let's turn to Hosea 6, verse 6. And it says here, in response to Hosea's prophetic words, right? Hosea's preaching judgment, all this. In response to that, Israel mechanically brings their sacrificial gifts. They do it week in and week out, maybe even every day. And they bring it to this syncretistic temple just to appease God. And in response to that, God says this, verse six, no, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. A better translation I found was, I am pleased by loyalty, not sacrifice, and knowing God rather than burnt offerings. Now, this is a text that's meant to be applied to our whole lives, okay, to every area of our life. But tonight I'm going to talk about specifically prayer, our prayer life, okay? What's tonight? Friday. Friday fire, right? It's a prayer meeting. It's where God's people come together and we pray for things that are on God's heart, right? And what we have here, it's something special. You know, I've been to a lot of prayer meetings. I tried starting some. I tried, um, and, and it didn't continue a lot of times. It was very like, yeah, let's do this. Three weeks later, it kind of just, you know, went away. I tried it with different churches. I tried it at my church. I tried it in Japan. Eh, Japan was good. But, um, yeah, I, it's, we have something special here. Friday Fire is something special. It's a place where we faithfully come out and we pray for the things that are on God's heart, right? But tonight I want to ask you, how is your prayer life? And don't give me the, the robotic response. It's good. It's fiery. Friday fire, mighty warrior of God. I'm, I'm an army, you know, member of New Philly Army. Like, you know, don't give that robotic response. But how is your prayer life? Really assess your prayer life. And let's be real. Can I be real? Is that Okay. There are definitely a lot of times when I've I'm on my way to a prayer meeting and I'm not that excited. You know, I'm like, I'm not like oh snap, what are we gonna pray for today? I can't I can't wait. You know, it's not like like oh my gosh, are you excited? You know, I'm not always that excited. You know, and don't tell me I'm the only one. You know, and, and, and I've heard people say say like you know I was like really tired and I didn't want to go to JPM. But then, man, I'm so happy that I went to JPM. And it, but, you know, after JPM or after Friday, Friday, you're like, oh, I'm so happy I went. But before you go, you, you don't always feel the same way, right? It's kind of like a night and day difference sometimes, right? <laughs> Somebody said a uh, big, yum. that's what I'm talking about. So, honesty, assess yourself. How is your prayer life, right? And, and you know, you could, you could even justify saying, like, man, I don't, I don't need to come to these prayer meetings because, I only want to go when it, when it feels good, when, it, when I feel passionate. I don't want it to be a religious thing. You know, I don't want it to be like it's dry, whatever thing. So what do I do? Do I, do I stop going? Heck to the no. Tell your neighbor, heck to the no. Heck to the no. You know, prayer, it's a good thing. Prayer, it shows our dependence on God. Amen? Prayer is one of the best ways to give God worship and glory. But when we lose a heart of loyalty and knowledge of God, our prayers just become an attempt to manipulate God. When we lose our sense of loyalty to God and the knowledge of God, our prayers, it just becomes, an, it doesn't just become empty, but it becomes an attempt to just manipulate him. Going back to, you know, Hosea and what he's preaching to Israel, You know, God didn't punish Israel only because they were following after the idols of Baal. He punished them because they were following the worship of other pagan nations around them. So in other words, Israel's worship of the Yahweh God, the living God, the breathing God, the God above all gods, the creator God, Israel's worship to him looked exactly the same as if a pagan worshipped his pagan God. Does that make sense? It's like saying for us, man, if our worship to God looks the same as if, you know, a Buddhist just prays and meditates. Something like that, right? And Israel's worship became worse than empty. It became an attempt to manipulate God. You know, in a similar way, we could say, man, we sacrifice our time, you know, for prayer when we... uh, you know spend time with him in the morning in the evening, or when we come out to these corporate times of prayer, like we could say, "Lord, man, this is my, my act of worship to you praying to you and, and um, man, I lost that hour of sleep just for you, you know, and, and you could try to romanticize it or, or whatever, but man, if you lose your heart of loyalty and the knowledge of God, it's all pointless. Because if our worship and prayer to God becomes about how much we did on the outside and not what was in the heart, then we're in trouble. Because you know who does that? You know who prays even better than us? Muslims pray better than us. I mean, I live with uh, my, my freshman year roommate, Esan Hoke from Bangladesh. And he was a devout Muslim. He had a lot of questions you know, at that time. But this guy would pray all the time. And I was like, am I even Christian? Like, what am I, what am I doing with my life right now? And you know, he's like, we'll be in mid-conversation. He's like... And he just starts <laughs> praying and... You know, Ramadan comes and he, he just come, he, he would fast all day and then he'd pick out at night. And I'm like, it's being like French fries underneath my bunk bed, you know, at like, at like 11 p.m. But, man, he, but regardless, he, he, on the outside, it all looked good. You know, he was devoutly practicing and, and doing all these things. He was, if anything, more faithful and praying five times to Mecca than I was doing my QT every day. But, you know, he was, he was doing all this. But, man, what, what was the difference between me and him? Right. Again, if we lose our heart of loyalty and knowledge of God, it's all pointless. See, the true tragedy for Israel was not the judgment. What was the, the saddest reality for Israel was not the wrath of God that was to come. And it wasn't even the rejection of Hosea's word. It was the lack of love and knowledge of God among the people. That was a true tragedy. That was what broke God's heart. Again, I am pleased by loyalty, not sacrifice, and knowing God rather than burnt offerings. And just to break down uh, loyalty and knowledge, um, the ESV translates it as steadfast love. Okay, it's talking about the hesed, which is talking about God's goodness, his faithfulness, you know, his uh, steadfast love. But I like this translation, loyalty, because he's talking specifically about a relational love. It's not just a love like here and there, but it's a, it's a relational love in the context of, of God's covenant with Israel, right? And that's why he gives the illustration of marriage. And that's why he tells Hosea, Mary Gomer, because I'm going to teach you what my hesed, my, my steadfast love, my loyalty looks like. And I'm going to do it in this context of marriage. You know, if I was married, which I'm not. And if I told my wife, "Honey, I will only talk to you 30 seconds." Every morning though, I'll talk to you every every morning at least 30 seconds. I promise to you. I promise to you. Now we're going to have some problems. I'm a, I might not even sleep on the couch. I might sleep outside or you know, we're, it's not going to be a good functioning relationship, right? All the married men in the house said? (laughs) All all three of them. Okay, so... I use that very uh, non-realistic and non-applicable example, to me at least, uh, because... Just, just to show, like, you know, marriage is not, like, 30 seconds in the morning after breakfast, kiss you goodbye, I'm going to do my own thing throughout the day. No, it's, it's from what I've heard, it's, you know, it's, it's like a constant thing, right? It's, it's like every, every, you know, you could, I got to get married, man. Um, and, and, you know, the, I use that example because when it comes down to it, God doesn't just want our mornings, but he wants all of us. He wants every part of our lives, every area of our lives, and our loyalty to him, he wants that to overflow specifically into our prayer lives. And once that happens, once our loyalty to God, it's it's made manifest in our prayer life, oh, it's game over. We're going to pray with zeal. We're going to pray with the same kind of compassion. We're going to be like... This minor prophet, Hosea, yelling at the top of his lungs, singing an octave higher than everyone else, praying what's on God's heart because he knows it so well. And he's able to communicate it. He's so in tune, right? And again, how do you think Hosea's prayers for Israel felt after his wife cheated on him? Just think about that. You marry this prostitute who you probably didn't even want to marry in the first place. You're very reluctant. You do it. You obey God, she cheats on you. She cheats on you again. She cheats on you again. I don't know if you've ever been cheated on. It's not a good feeling. But, man, you feel this betrayal. And from that place, Hosea, from that place of hurt, from that place of compassion, and he still remains faithful, he still remains loyal to his wife, he prays for Israel. Don't you think he got God's heart? Don't you think he understood it a little bit better? Don't you think he understood God's loyalty, God's compassion for them? God wants us to pray from a place of loyalty to him. The second one, uh, the knowledge of God or knowing God. Simply put, knowing God is knowing God's will. That's one way of seeing it. I had a, when I was part of a college ministry as a student called Campus Crusade, there's this one staff. And she said, if you ever pray a prayer and you end it with, if it's your will, that's not a real prayer. You know, if you're praying, um, God, uh, can you please uh, save this person that I evangelized to? Or can you uh, bring breakthrough in my sunon, my disciples' life? If it's your will, that's not a... We should never be saying that. That that was her point. She was saying, as God's people, as a people of God who should know God's heart, who should remain loyal to him, we should never question God's will. As his people, we're supposed to know what his will is. Amen? Amen? This man, Richard Trent, he said, prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven, but it's, yeah, but it's getting God's will done on earth. It's not overcoming God's reluctance, but it's laying hold of God's willingness. You see, when we pray prayers without understanding God's will, how can we pray prayers like, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, when we don't even know what his will is. When you make intercession without understanding God's will, you're just praying the words off a PowerPoint and not the will of God on this land. And just on a side note, that's why we pray for Israel. You know, I had the honor of uh, picking up uh, Pastor Kirk Bennett a couple weeks ago when he spoke here at Hillside. And we just had a heated discussion on Israel in one of my one of my classes. And, you know, there's, there's, like, biblical evidence in the New Testament to pray for Israel. But there's no direct commandment of God to, like, tell us to pray for Israel. And you see a lot in the Old Testament. But I was just asking um, Kirk... Yeah, do you have any other biblical reasons or just some insight you want to show me or or tell me? And he said, he pointed me to Romans 10, verse 1. I'll just read it out real quick. It says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Paul's praying for Israel. And he's saying, my heart's desire and my heart's prayer is that they'll be saved. And Paul's prayer for Israel here is the only recorded prayer for a people group in the New Testament. Okay, this is the only time Paul's prayed for a specific people group. And that's the only recording of his prayer. And he was pretty much, Kirk was pretty much just saying, man, you got to get to a place where you go beyond just obedience and commandment, but you go to a place of desire, right? In that same way, we can't just be like, um, man, I'm going to pray for, uh, you know, two five five two foundation because pastor emily led that or pastor christian told me to fast for this so i'm just going to fast and pray no you pray because you know god's will you know what his commandments are and you and you live according to that but let me be honest it's not easy to just say let me come from a place of loyalty and and you know knowing god and let me just apply that to my prayer life it's not it's not easy right it's not easy to get this heart of loyalty and knowledge of God, especially for our prayer life. But at the same time, it's not as hard as we make it out to be. I feel like we, um, yeah, we, we kind of, almost give ourselves not enough credit. You know, we we forget who lives in us, right? There's there's like a there's a guy named Jesus who's living in each and every one of us, who's deposit, deposited His Holy Spirit in us, Amen. And just my prayer, the last few weeks have been this. It says, I was saying, God, give me a heart of loyalty and knowing God in my prayer life. It was as simple as that. Because this was something I realized it's not I got to learn, but it's something I got to walk out. You know, it's a life lesson I'm learning. And, you know, even in a real small way, I was going um, on a bike ride the other day. I was coming from school, and I was just asking God, Lord, give me your heart in my prayer life you know give me your heart of uh, loyalty and knowing you all these things right and then i'm, I'm riding my bike and there's this like old korean couple i'm ringing my bell like oh get out of my way please you know and and uh the the older older lady she noticed first and she's all cute she's like she's like, Yo, boy, be careful. like she's she's telling her uh her husband like honey get out the way you know you got to watch out be careful and i was like I was right. I was like, that was the cutest thing ever, man. And, and it was one of those older, you know, couple, it could be like your, um, you know, like your, your. Everyone here isn't Korean, so I can't say your relative, but yeah, it, it reminded me of like my my aunt or someone. Or and it's it very like a family feel when I saw this. This oh, they're going yo bo, you know, and and then I, I was just like, man, they're so um pure. They're like they're so cute, adorable, you know. But then. Deeper, I saw like an innocence in them. You know, I saw this, yeah, untainted kind of purity in them. And I was just like, from that place, I was like, Lord, just release that to this generation who needs it. Especially here in Korea, in the youth and in the older generation where they kind of lost that. You know, because Korea's been prospering, because Korea's been blessed, you know, and I, in just a real simple way, I was just asking God to release that purity. Right? I was, God was just giving me his heart, right? And even in a bigger way, I remember... The summer, uh, last summer, right before I went to Tokyo, uh, we uh, had a Friday fire, and we we're it was like a send off service for all of us, right? And before that, I was in Japan for a year, and I was uh, pretty consistent in just praying for Japan, and you know, praying on our various campuses we ministered in, and all my teammates who went, they were super emotional, and they're all like, "There's a parable," and I was just like. Yeah, and I would yell, and I would get passionate, and I would get stirred up. You know, it's not that I didn't have a heart or anything. I just wasn't as emotional as them, right? And uh, I remember, I still, yeah, we had uh, teams come up. I'm like right there. Pastor John comes and prays for me. And I was leading praise that night. And it was like right before uh, we're wrapping up, and he just prays for me. And like blessings as I go to Japan. And I start crying like a baby. I start it wasn't even an ugly cry. It was like beyond an ugly cry. It was like, (laughs) like, like, like like snot was going up and down like a yo-yo. And um, let me show you. No, i was kidding. Uh, It was, it was just like not a pretty time for me. Right. And and in the back of my head, I'm like, what is going on? I, when did I, and and there are times when I'd pray in the secret place and, and kind of have tap into that place of God. But I realized, man, that whole year of me just sowing in to that nation, two years later, I'm about to go to Japan. I'm about to return. God, like, revived that. And God, man, right before I go, he just, yeah, he showed me what has said, steadfast love, what loyalty really was. And he imparted that in my heart. And it's not as hard as we make it out to be sometimes. You know, God placed Hosea and other prophets to understand the heart of God so that when they would prophesy, it would come from a place of loyalty and knowing God. And in the ways they felt short, God sent the greatest prophet, Jesus, to show us what absolute loyalty and knowing God looked like. You see, Jesus, he knew the will of God. And he prayed for us, right? He prayed for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the thing is, he's still praying for us today. Romans 8.34 says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? That's a present verb right there. He's still praying for us. And, man, he's been praying for us for a long time, more than 2,000 years. Or almost 2,000 years. But, yeah, and, you know, I bet you it's not hard for Jesus to pray for us. And you know why? It's because he knows God's will. He knows, he knows God. He knows what loyalty to him looks like. And I bet you he does it with joy. And that leads to why I'm preaching about praying from a place of loyalty and knowing God. My final point is the greatest reward we receive from praying with loyalty and knowing God is not just the answered pray, uh, prayer request, but it's being one more step closer and seeing the return of Christ. See, when we pray from a place of loyalty, from a place of, of really capturing God's love and compassion, and when we pray from a place of knowing God and knowing specifically his will, we understand what that will is and we let it soak into our hearts. When we do that, we're asking that God's will come to earth and that Jesus, you know, the king above all kings, that he's able to return that much quicker. When we pray for God's will to be done, we're praying for the return of Jesus. We're praying that, man, we're we're just that much closer to just being in Your presence, Lord. That much closer and just being united with You again. Prayer is so important. And I just want to close with this: When you get to heaven, how familiar will God be to us? You get to know a person. By knowing things about them, right? By knowing things that are on their heart. And when our life draws too near, can we look back and say, Lord, I've lived a life of loyalty and knowing you. I've prayed the prayers that were on your heart, and I understood what your will was here on earth. Let's bow our heads. You know, when we see Jesus again, whether he returns in this lifetime or you know, we, our life here on earth passes and we see him in heaven, it's a good thing to know what the cross means. It's a good thing to know what salvation is and know what Jesus did for us and rejoice and respond to that love that God showed us. you can know the message at the cross and you're never going to graduate from that. But what I'm asking you is, how familiar will you be with God's heart when you see him, when you see him face to face? And even your life right now, can you assess your prayer life and say, Lord, I'm I'm praying from a place where Loyalty to you. I'm praying from a place of knowing you. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God and not burnt offerings. I desire steadfast love. I desire loyalty. That's the word of God for you today. this time and just to pray and ask Lord give us your heart teach us what that means your hesed, steadfast love, your loyalty when we offer up our prayers to you specifically may it not be empty may not just be a manipulation of God Lord, may we come from a place of really understanding your heart. May we be like Hosea, an incarnational person. And may we be like the greatest prophet ever, like Jesus. May we understand the will of the Father. May we come from a place of loyalty. A wholehearted loyalty only to you. And a knowledge of God that only comes from you. Let's just take that time and pray right now.